Hey Bulls Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Rebuildable Podcast. Alongside Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile, and we've kind of hit that point in the offseason when there's a bit of a lull, Drew, but some interesting Bulls news lately. For sure, for sure. I think, uh, first of all, it's good to be back on with you. Second of all, I think Kevin Durant is is doing his best to keep basketball fans kind of in tune and, and not too much of it, uh, in a rush to start this next season the way he keeps coming out and making waves with his uh, trade request and then reiterating that trade request with a uh, ultimatum attached yeah. to it. So I guess we got to thank him in some ways for that. You know, I feel like we've had the last couple episodes, we've brought up the hijacking of the offseason by Durant and Irving because really like you kind of have to see what happens. And, and And this naturally, I think, goes down almost every season where there's some superstar that wants to get traded and it doesn't really happen until you get closer to like September, October. Like kind of remember with Kyrie Irving back in, I think 17 when he went to the Celtics, I believe he didn't get traded until close to September. I think. Ooh, see, I don't, you got a better memory than I do. Yeah, but you're right though. I feel like typically you want to try to get things moving um, as quickly as possible. So you get things set, uh, for training camp and heading into the season. So there's not too much juggling that has to go along. Um, but with this Durant situation, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to follow. It seems like um, Minnesota has kind of priced all the teams out of uh, being able to get Durant with how much they gave up for Rudy Gobert. So it's kind of funny in that way because a lot of people – have their own opinions about Gobert and whether or not he's really a, a valuable player come playoffs. But here he is kind of sabotaging the market <laughs> for somebody who is a once in a generation type player. So um, definitely an interesting story and, and something that is kind of holding the rest of the league prisoner in some ways. Yeah. And you know what though, at least we've had some interesting bulls news pop up. So um, just for our listeners, if you didn't see over the weekend, there was some news from Joel Colley regarding Nikola Vucevic and a possible extension. Also some news about Monzo Ball and some news surrounding the Bulls working out together um, with everything going on with the Drew League out in California. So let me start real quick with some of the news from Joe Colley. So, of course, Joe Colley from the Chicago Sun-Times, he, he knows how to make waves with Bulls Nation. No doubt about that. Uh, just can't help himself. <laughs> but he had some interesting news in an article he wrote over the weekend where he talked about the Bulls entertaining the idea of negotiating an extension with Nikola Vucevic as we get closer to training camp. And, you know, that kind of makes sense. You hear about those stories the closer you get to training camp. And he does have one year left on his contract, a contract that's going to pay him $20 million this year. So it kind of got, though, Bulls Nation talking not just over the weekend, but even into this week, about the idea of extending Nikola Vucevic, what that could you know, cost per year. Is it worth even entertaining? So I, let me ask you, Drew, it, for you, are you open to the idea of extending Vucevic, or do you think it's just something that the Bulls should just move on from after this season? No, I'm, I'm open to the idea of them extending Vucevic, if only because DeMar DeRozan will have another year left on his contract. And with the way that Lily Donovan uses Vucevic in this offense, I think it, it only makes sense for them to at least see if they can get another year 
out of Vucevic to kind of go along with the same timeline that DeMar is on. And as Joe Cowley pointed out in this article, there's not a whole lot of better options out, out there. Um, there's some guys who, like a Miles Turner, who can give you some rim protection and, and some uh, better finishing percentages around the rim, but um, there's no one out there who is just head and shoulders above Nikola Vucevic. I think the one guy who would make sense for them to also entertain bringing in is, is Jakob Pertl. Um, but even, even then, you have somebody who's not a threat at all from outside. And even though Vucevic had one of his worst three-point shooting seasons, I think, in the last four or five years, he's still a threat. Like, for now, teams still have to honor the threat of him shooting at three unless he just tanks again this season, which I find hard to believe he'll miss the same amount of shots that he did, especially wide-open shots um, last year. Um, so I, I think it makes sense for them to, to figure out what they can do in terms of extension. I don't know how many years or how much money they should look at. Maybe like a, a two-year, $40 million. Maybe that should be like the the highest, like the high bar for a deal for him. Um, this season, this upcoming season, I think he's set to make $25 million. So I don't think you want to go, obviously, any higher than that. You want to try to come off of that price a little bit um, next season. The guys who are kind of in that price range are Clint Capella. He'll be making $20.6 million. Jared Allen, $20 million. And then it goes into Yusuf Nurkic, who will make sixteen point eight. So I think if he falls somewhere in between uh, Capella, Allen, and Nurkic, I think that kind of makes sense on an annual basis. Um, I'm not a fan of the player option just because we've seen that kind of hamstring the roster this summer with Tony Bradley. Um, and I think they also just gave Andre Drummond a player option on the second year of his deal as well. So things like that yeah. can kind of come back to bite you in the butt a little bit. Obviously, Vucevic has more value to this team than Tony Bradley and probably even a Andre Drummond, despite some people in, in the Twitter sphere of Bulls Nation. But um, I think it definitely makes sense for sure. Yeah, like I think it's just good business. If you're in the position of Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, you want to start entertaining the idea of an extension because if you look at the the free agent market for next offseason, it's not great. Like one of the arguments for this offseason uh, for getting you know, Isaiah Hartenstein or Mo Bamba was the fact that you would have a center in waiting once Vucevic went into free agency next offseason. But, you know, I would entertain the idea just because if he does have – a bounce back year, then you're going to end up paying a lot more. He could get a lot more on the open market if he has a bounce back season. So to me, it's just good business to see if you can maybe strike at a price that's, you know, good for both sides for Vooch, who's a little older, you could maybe say declining. And then if you're the Bulls, you get him at a price that, you know, could be favorable for the next two or three years, depending on what kind of extension you give them. But I just think it's good business because you always try to get it a player like that at a bargain because you know, let's be real he's still productive right like he's still one of the better centers in the league in terms of defensive rebound rate you know he has a high three-point 
attempt rate too. Now, is his three-point shooting percentage lining up with that? Maybe not, but could he reset to a better percentage this year? I I think it's very possible. Like, I don't think it'll be as bad as it was this past season. So, you know, if you can get him at a, at a decent price, I think it's worth looking at potentially an extension and maybe something like, to your point, you could maybe get him on a deal where you don't have to include a player option or anything like that because, you know, the Bulls are going to have Andre Drummond on a player option. You just got the Tony Bradley experience back for this season because of a player option. And that's always a, a risky proposition when you do that. And especially if things don't pan out with Vooch and age does become a factor, you, you don't want that option there for sure. So, you know, if there's a way that they can make it work, like I'm open to the idea. I'm not completely sour on Vooch. Like, I feel like some of the reaction we've seen from Bulls Twitter has been crazy. Like, it's pretty mixed, but I'm seeing a lot of Vooch hate, and I I guess I shouldn't be surprised, given where things were at the end of last season. But people forget he's still a a viable option at center. Maybe he's not an all-star caliber center anymore, but he's still viable and better than most centers you'd find in the league right now. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I really wasn't. Um, surprised by the reaction um, to the news of, of the Bulls and Vucevic looking to extend their relationship. We kind of saw it manifest itself this season um, with the amount of criticism he got. And part of it, a lot of it rightfully so, just because of how much he struggled coming out of the gates um, for much of the season. In fact, I think um, February and March were by far pretty much his best shooting and scoring months of the season. And even saying that in February, he still only shot 20.4% from three. So um, it's not saying a whole lot, but I'm glad you brought up the point about the amount of three pointers that he takes because on this team, and especially with a team that's, you know, headed by DeMar DeRozan, someone who's really not looking to take many three-pointers. You need guys who can spread the floor and open things up for him. And other than Kobe White, who we're not even sure how many minutes or what type of role he's going to play with this team, Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball, who we're not sure um, what his health situation is going to be or how many games the Bulls are going to be able to get out of him this season. Having somebody like Vucevic, who – has a decent track history of um, shooting and hitting threes, maybe not a a stupendous clip like he did during the pandemic season. Um, But you need need that spacing. You need that floor spacing, especially, like I said, with somebody like DeMar DeRozan on the floor. And when you brought up Bamba and Hardenstein, when I was going through the the list of centers and the money they're going to make next season, not that it, it didn't – I don't want to say it angered me, but it's almost it almost felt like a, a little bit of a slap in the face because Bamba's going to make $10.3 million and Hardenstein's going to make $8.1 million. So I, we don't know if, how, how much the Bulls were in on those two guys this free agency period. We heard some chatter about Mo Bamba. Not sure if that was real or if he was trying to drive his own um, value up so that the Magic couldn't keep him, but – for sure, Vooch is going to make more than those two guys entering um, this next, uh, entering the 23-24 season, if and when he's extended. 
um, you know, and to have one of those two guys at a much lower price, given, you know, we don't, there's, there's questions with those two individuals as well. Bamba, we're not sure about the consistency. Um, with Hardenstein, you know, he, he was a phenomenal backup last year, but we don't know how he would be as a, a starting center. But just one of those two guys kind of filling that role where you may not have to rely on Vooch as much or maybe you could play hardball maybe, um, whether, you know, right or wrong. It just, just would have set them up differently and i guess it's kind of a moot point right now because like i said we're not sure if they even were going after those two guys or um what the case was there but just something i thought about going through these salaries uh today (laughs) that's a good point to make too because if you could get those guys you probably would have a bargain because you look at next off season you know they're talking that the salary cap could get as high as like 133 million dollars for 23-24 and that would just drive up your your mid-level exception, which could kind of help drive, I think, Vooch's market. You know, if you had been able to maybe pull off a deal with Bamba or with, with Hartenstein or somebody of that caliber, you would be having a, a different situation with a little more cap relief. But at the same time, like, cap goes up, you have more space at your disposal, and there could be other pieces in play that you might be able to move off your roster. It's It's not a death sentence when you have players – on your salary cap. You can operate over the cap. It, we saw the Bulls do that as an off season ago. But, you know, let, let's kind of talk about that with Vooch and what that, maybe that number is. This year, the mid-level exception, if you were to use all of it for a player, would be $10 million a season. In your mind, like, is $10 million too low for Vooch if we were to look to an extension? Or what is that annual salary? Again, he's making $20 million now, but, again, age is going to play a factor and he's coming off a rough season. So what do you think is that annual salary for somebody like Nikola Vucevic? I think what the mid-level exception was this summer, I think that is going to be too low for him. I think in negotiations, if I was his agent negotiating on his behalf and I was trying to kind of explain away the season he just had, you know, of the stars on this team, he was the one that was asked to sacrifice the most. He was the guy that went from being a, um, a top guy with the magic to being a number two in his first half season with the team to being a number three this past season. So I think that would be my argument as to kind of explain why maybe he didn't have the best of seasons. But even saying that, he still averaged 17 points, 11 rebounds, which of the free agent centers who are going to be on the board, presumably next summer, that's, you know, ahead of the class. Um and like you said, he's still really valuable, even if um, he's not the greatest of, of defensive centers out there. You know, Jason Pat um, of Forbes had a great stat that he brought up in terms of Vucevic. Um, basically, when Vucevic, Ball, and Caruso were on the court together, the team's defensive rating was 97.3. Now, they only played 204 minutes because of injuries to, to Ball and Crew. So, but 97.3 is like, that's like a, <laughs> that's like a, a 1990s defensive rating there. Um, mm-hmm. And it speaks to how Vucevic can play his role really well when he has the right pieces in front of him 
who make his job easier and he's not asked to do more than what he's able to at this point um, in his career, maybe even ever. Uh, on the flip side of that, when it was just Vucevic on the court without Ball and Caruso, the team's defensive rating was 115.9. So mm. it's just, you know, he, he's, he's dependent. He's a dependent defensive player. And a lot of what he can do, do for you defensively depends on who your guards are in front of him or your wings and how well they play in the point of attack and how well your team can rotate and communicate. Um, that being said, Vucevic is also a great screener. Um, I know that kind of gets poo-pooed a little bit. Uh, nobody is really <laughs> interested in guys that can set screens, but I think it's important. He's also a, a pretty good and quick decision maker as the hub of the team's offense. He, he touches the ball, I think, I want to say he touched the ball uh, just as much, if not just below Lonzo Ball um, on a per average basis. So it's just a lot that he brings to the table that kind of gets thrown by the wayside because of how poorly he shot from three and the position he was put in by the injuries to this team last season. But I think fair market price for him. I mean, like I, I'm just an ordinary Joe. I really don't know the ins and outs of these financials, but I would assume that it's got to fall somewhere between 20 and $18 million. And I think 18 mm. mil is, is pretty low for him. I think he's not going to want to fall too much off that 25 million, obviously that he's, he's going to make this season. Yeah, and I I think I remember you know you and I were texting a little bit back and forth over the weekend, and and one of the things I said was like given age, I think if if he goes into the open market next off season and has a similar season he had this year, maybe declines a little bit, I think we're looking at like close to like fifteen mil a year. But I think you're onto something there. The the number there that that struck me was eighteen, and I could see the Bulls and you know Vooch's camp kind of going back and forth and given what this past season was operating at $22 million a year this year, he'll be at 20. So, you know, I could see them maybe able, if they're able to get him at like a price of 18 million a year over the next three seasons after the contract or the next two years after the contract, I'd be open to it real quick. Drew, I, I want to rattle off to you. I actually have a list here from spot rack of centers that are going to hit the open market in 2023 so in the summer and i think there's a name on here that bulls fans might say "Ooh, i i'm willing to maybe bite the bullet let vooch walk and pick up this guy so let me let me read some of the other ones and i'll save this guy for last uh al horford who's just as old he's 37 or he'll be 37 <laughs> next summer mm -hmm. um so had a nice resurgence season but again long in the tooth stephen adams who it feels like has been around forever, but he's only been around for 10 years and he's going to be just just around 30 next summer. Dwight Powell, Derek Favors, Serge Ibaka. Um, you know, you brought up Jakob Pertl, who I think is an interesting option. Uh, Jackson Hayes is a restricted free agent. Uh, Alex Len. So these are the kind of names that we're, we're looking at in terms of centers that are going to hit the open market. Gorgie DeYoung, um, DeAndre Jordan, so, I mean, stop if there's anybody that's really enticing to you. Um, <laughs> I think Pardo is is the guy. If, if there's anybody I'm looking at, it's, it's got to be Pardo. Um, well, let me 
Let me give you another name, and this is a name Bulls fans just seem to be enamored with, and it's Miles Turner. Miles Turner is set to hit unrestricted free agency next summer. So it's interesting. He's also earning that same kind of contract as Nikola Vucevic. I think he's around like $20 million a year right now. If it were up to you, are you making a run at a guy like Miles Turner over Vucevic or trying to get Vucevic at the right price now? Oh, man, Matt, these questions, these questions. Oh, it's... That's why I'm here, man. <laughs> I, I it's my know. only asset. It's my only asset to a podcast. Please. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I've never been a big Miles Turner fan. That being said, if the Bulls wanted to try to pivot to him, I, I would for sure understand why, because He's a he's a better rim protector for sure, and finisher around the basket. I, he has kind of this perception as being a, a high end three point shooter, but his highest percent was thirty eight um, in the two thousand eighteen through two thousand nineteen season, and that was on two point six attempts. Uh, the last three seasons, his high was thirty four percent. Um, now that kind of sounds snobbish for me to say, given that Vooch just shot 31.4%, but just in terms of what I hear about Turner and what people kind of pump him up to be, I'm not quite sure if he's really that good of a three-point shooter in term, when, in comparing him to Vucevic. I mean, um, mm. and, and also, I don't know how he would fare in the same kind of role that Vucevic plays in a half court in a half court offensive setting so I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset at all um if they if they wanted to try to pursue Turner but I still am kind of just enamored by Yaka Pertle you know what drives me nuts about Miles Turner as gifted as he is and as tall as he is if you look at his rebounding numbers it's not impressive and I think he averages close to like seven rebounds a game, which is kind of surprising given, again, his size. And I think that's what would concern me. Like, Vooch, for as much as he drives people nuts, like, he has one of the highest defensive rebounding percentages in the league. So, you know, you replace that with Miles Turner, you're not going to get the same level of production on the defensive boards and not even great on the offensive boards. And that's something that some folks complain about with Vooch is, you know, he's a great defensive rebounder, not a great offensive rebounder, but you're not going to get that level of production from Miles Turner at all. And, you know, you kind of highlighted, it's not like he's over the top plus defender by any means. So if he can't give you that level of rebounding that you get from Vooch and he kind of is so, so defensively, like, I don't know. I, Maybe I'm a little more hesitant, not as obsessed. Like, I'd rather either have Vooch return or make my play with another player in the trade market if I wanted to upgrade at center. Yeah, I'm. I'm I think I'm with you there. Um, oh man, Turner and and, and Pirtle, There's just things about both players that yeah. concern me a little bit, but less about Pirtle. Although, um, like I said earlier, if you were to go in that direction, he's like not a threat unless you know correct me if i'm wrong anybody who listens to this pod but he's he's not a a threat at all from outside which i just i wonder how that would affect things um 
mm-hmm. going into the 23-24 season. Um, and also there was some some smoke about the Bulls trying to get him this past trade deadline, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe they're, you know, still kind of kicking the tires on him or have been, or maybe they will um, coming up this season. But like you said, it's just not there – are, there aren't any slam dunk replacements, which I think is part and parcel of the reason why management is willing to look at what an extension might be for Vucevic. And I think that's really well said. And um, just one last note, really, with, with Jakob Pertl. You're getting a different kind of player altogether. You're, you're getting a guy that's much better on the defensive end. So, like, as he might not give you that outside threat like Vooch does or that high-level offensive production, I mean, you're going to get a lot from him defensively. So, given where we saw the Bulls the last couple of years, it would be nice to maybe have somebody that could, could lock it down in the paint. And another point you made about when there's smoke around a player that the Bulls like, it's kind of interesting. If you go back, a lot of people don't remember this. But if you go back to the trade deadline when they acquired Vooch, much was made about Lonzo Ball. But there was one one tweet from a national reporter, and I think it was Windhorst at the time. At the deadline brought up DeMar DeRozan potentially being traded at the deadline and threw the Bulls out as a team of interest in like a group of other teams. And then you kind of fast forward, and I think at that same deadline also, Andre Drummond was brought up by Casey Johnson as somebody that the Bulls were intrigued by. So that was the first year of the new regime. And take a look at who's now on the roster. Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, Andre Drummond. So same with Goran Dragic. A lot of smoke around when he got uh, released. So now he's on the Bulls bench this year, potentially paying 20 to 25 minutes. So, yeah, like when there's smoke around certain players with the Bulls, you never know. And, that would definitely kind of fit the bill of like how they've talked about making upgrades at, at the center spot. So I, I wouldn't look past it, but it kind of put a bow on this Vooch discussion. I, I just, I guess, I don't know what Bulls fans want. They want to see the team continue to improve. And I get that people are frustrated with continuity thing that's been floated out this summer by the Bulls is they want to have continuity, but they didn't make the major upgrades there's always ways to improve the roster and it doesn't mean like Vooch can't be a part of it if it's at the right price. So you also don't want to get bad. Like I think Bulls fans forget that you don't want to be trash. And if you just all of a sudden make a massive downgrade at center, there's a chance that you're just going to be a playing team for the next few years. So I don't know. I think Bulls fans have to remember that. Like if you can't make significant upgrades, then at least having the status quo at one starter spot and trying to fill out the rest of the rotation maybe next year. I mean, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can make improvements in other spots. For sure. And I think just it's, it's the frustration. It, it it goes to the Reinsdorfs as well. I think it's just a lot, just a lot of frustration swirling. Um, you know, Eversley and AK talking about bringing in rim protection and, and shooting and not really kind of hidden hitting the target on those marks. Um, couple that with questions about Lonzo Ball's health and whatever questions may still remain about Zach Levine's knee. And, you know, is he done with, you know, the scare that he had last season and the bulkiness of that knee and, and how that kind of changed not only his tra- trajectory, but also the teams as well. 
um, you know, in an angst about Patrick Williams and what he can be and what he can't be. It's just, I, I, I get it. You know, I get the frustration for sure. Um, but like you said, it's, this doesn't have to be, this doesn't have to be it, you know, mm-hmm. given some development from some of the younger players, even Zach Levine's own improvement. Um, if DeMar and Vooch kind of serve as a bridge to something greater, you know, we may look look back at this time and, and maybe laugh about it a little bit. Um, yeah. It'll take a while, but. <laughs> One thing about the NBA, Drew, it's like you never know what can happen. Things can just shift on a dime, right? Like a star like Kevin Durant wants to get moved, right? And it could shift the whole balance of power in the East. And it also means that you never know when somebody could pop up and you might be able to pull the trigger on it. There's opportunities for that too. There's opportunities for Patrick Williams to take a massive step. I think we're going to get a lot of answers this year, and that's what's going to make it fun because we'll see if this continuity works and if they take that next step, and we'll know what's needed come 2024 maybe. Absolutely. And and one thing to hit, to hit on that, with locking down Zach Levine, and I think we may, we may talk about this in a later podcast, what you just hit on is very important because if and when – you know, one of the better players in the league, one of the more superstar level players of the league, when and if they become disgruntled or they see Chicago and they see an opportunity that may not exist where they are, Zach Levine is a hell of a player to play with. He's he's very malleable in that way. We see that with DeMar DeRozan. Um, you know, he's not somebody whose game is kind of confined to certain spaces on the court. Um, you might say part of that doesn't work in his favor because he doesn't necessarily have sweet spots per se, but I think he can play with just about anybody that you might bring in. I think the more important thing is the player that you bring in, are they also a threat defensively as well? Um, as, as we see with this team, Ball and Caruso are so important, and Patrick Williams' development is so important, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because you have three guys who need to be on the court, um, obviously to start the game and, of course, to close it, who aren't the best defenders. So kind of shoring that up in the seasons to come is going to be important as well. Yeah, and like I said earlier, you can operate over the cap, and there's ways to make improvements over time. And honestly, I, I get it the more that I that we're removed from that opening of free agency and kind of letting the dust settle. I know I was a little frustrated with the way things played out, but I'm starting to understand like the want to kind of evaluate what's in front of them right now because we don't know. If Lonzo Ball's healthy, if all of these developments happen, you can better – prepare the roster going forward and you can actually see if you're a little closer to talk contention than you might think you were when the season ended. Um, you brought up Lonzo Ball and I want to get into that story. So just for our listeners, if you didn't see this, uh, ESPN's Jamal Collier, and if you're familiar with the Chicago Tribune, he was the, the Bulls beat writer for the last like season or two for the Tribune, just made the move over to ESPN. He cited a source in Lonzo Ball's camp. And that based on that conversation with that source, Jamal Collier thinks that Ball could be ready when the season starts. And that's kind of an interesting development because we've been kind of hearing about 
everything with the rehab process and things sort of becoming a slog there and that he might not be ready for the season. But based on what we're hearing from Lonzo Ball's camp, he might be ready when the season rolls around. And, and that certainly changes everything. It really does. It really does. That was kind of the, or still is, the cloud kind of hanging over the Bulls and, and what they can and cannot be this season. If Lonzo Ball is is healthy and ready to go to start the season, I think that that changes or will change a lot of our outlooks. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, he's going to have to stay healthy and prove that he can stay on the floor for the majority of the season. But, you know, to be able to start things off with your starting five intact and not have to bring the sumo potential potentially into the starting lineup or Dragic potentially into the starting lineup, I think would be obviously that would be huge for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, just in so many ways, you, you want to try to get off. I think especially for the Bulls, you want to try to get off to the best start possible and kind of give yourself a cushion, almost like how they did last season. Um, yeah. They've not gotten off to such a good start, man. There's no telling how last season would have ended for them. Yeah. We, we, and we talked a little bit about this on the previous podcast, too, when we were doing the comparisons with other starting fives throughout the East. And – I think you had had the Bulls starting five with Lonzo at six. And I was saying, well, uh, if all things are equal, but I'm afraid they're not going to be, I kind of have the Bulls starting lineup at nine because of that. And it's interesting because, like, we kind of determined that was the ceiling and the floor for the Bulls maybe. But it's true, though. Like, he, I think, holds the key to the Bulls' success this season because we saw it early last year how the Bulls' offense – clicked because of what they could do in in transition he was able to play off ball and hit open threes in the half court game you know and that created better spacing on the floor there was a much better fluidity with with Vooch in the lineup when ball started and you know even defensively I think there were things that he added that made the Bulls as a unit better so he does kind of hold the cards to to where the Bulls could go and like to your point you know, you get off to a hot start, I think that will certainly help. Let me ask you this question, though. If you're the Bulls, do you think about maybe easing in ball, maybe doing some load management early in the season, or maybe occasionally sitting him out early until we get to maybe the new year and closer to, like, February? I think so. I think, you know, that article you referenced um, from Jamal Collier, he – one of the last things he said was he said he could also see the Bulls kind of slow playing it and just trying to make sure that uh, Lonzo Ball is 100%. So I think it would be smart to be very deliberate about how they go about putting him on the floor and keeping him on the floor for sure. Um, obviously, you want him healthy, as healthy as can be, more toward the end of the season. Not more toward the end of the season, but especially – toward the end of the season, um, hopefully gearing up for a playoff run. But I think it'll be smarter. We talked about protecting assets <laughs> um, earlier in the podcast with, with Vucevic, but I think it applies to Alonzo Ball in the same kind of way. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it, it would be smart because, like, you do have Io DeSumo who you want to see what you can get out of him, and I think it just helps with his development even early in the season to get him starters minutes and get him more acclimated to – playing with that starting group because you, you know, you want to see what you have going forward. And then 
one of the reasons you did big bring Goran Dragic in is because he does have experience. And usually early in the season, sometimes you want to tap into that microwave player like Goran Dragic. So, like, I, I'm i perfectly fine with them sort of slow rolling Lonzo Ball into the lineup and um, really saving him for that stretch run because we saw it last year, right? Without him down the stretch and into the postseason, you know, it, it was almost like a, a totally different team on the court or a, a less fluid team on the court with him not there. So... Yeah, I'm I'm totally fine having him slow roll so we can get to what matters and that's trying to make the run for the postseason and you know make hay in the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's a tough spot to be in because we just talked about how big it would be if, if he's able to start the season off on the right foot. And you know, you it's a delicate balance with this team because there is no Giannis, there is no Joel Embiid that can kind of put this team on his shoulders and really just carry it through against the toughest of competition. No disrespect to DeMar DeRozan whatsoever. Um, So I I don't know. It's it's a difficult balancing act to kind of, to kind of walk with um, Lonzo Ball. You'd have to pick your spots for sure. Like it would probably be like, you have that back to back against Detroit and Milwaukee. And maybe you sit him against Detroit, so he plays against Milwaukee or vice versa, right? So I think it's like those kind of scenarios. And I'm with you. Like, you do have to, you know, early in the season, if you do have games where you're playing against stiffer competition, the Bulls do have to start making hay against those teams. And if you want to be in that good position come April when you get to the playoffs, you you have to beat those opponents. Because we saw the margin of error and distance between the standings you do have to have some of those tiebreakers in your back pocket so i think like you just got to play it carefully maybe with when you choose to pick your spots with lonzo oh yeah for sure for sure and hopefully there's good communication and and on behalf of all parties and Mm. um just enough so that people are informed of what's going on and yeah. Um, how Lonzo's how how Alonzo Ball is feeling, and he's up front with everything he's feeling in his knee. I guess kind of how he has been, letting him know that when he when he's tried to ramp up, that he's still feeling this discomfort. So, um, yeah, man, we're just like you said, it's 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 going to be important for them to to manage that, and like you said, picking their spots to figure out kind of when to let him rest and when to try to let him gear up. You mentioned that communication, and and I think the first thing that I thought of when I read that story was, uh, do I trust Lonzo Ball's camp? You know, it's always kind of tough to know what to believe. I mean, we kind of know that there was miscommunication there, and and LeVar Ball's been saying that, you know, he's going to be fine. They got him now in a pool, and the Bulls didn't have him in a pool, and now he's going to be fine, and everything's going to be great. He also predicted LeVar that – Levine was going to LA. So, I mean, it's not like everything coming out of the ball camp is a hundred percent accurate. So I don't know. Were you a little worried? Do you not trust the ball camp? Maybe I'm naive because I didn't, when that first, when that story first broke, I'll, I'll, I'll totally went to the side of optimism. Like, Oh man, this, this is a, uh, you know, one in the bucket for me to feel like there's a really good chance that Lonzo might be, healthy enough to start the season. I didn't even go to the side of, you know, this is Lonzo Ball's camp. What else are they going to say? So maybe that's just on me. But I want to believe that it's it's at least enough reason to 
feel better about his situation and hopefully the next update we get is another step in that same direction. What about you? Did you, were you kind of side-eyeing it a little bit? Oh, of course. I, anything that comes out of the ball camp, I'm just sort of, I'll believe it when I see it. So, you know, it was, it was good to hear that. And maybe in the coming weeks, we'll kind of get a better idea of where he's at right now. We're beginning of August. I mean, we're going to be close to mid August in a few days. So, you know, training camp will be close to six weeks away, which is crazy to think about. So I'm sure some clarity will kind of happen and we'll we'll get more information about it probably within the coming weeks. But I guess, I don't know, I'm just prone to not believe anything that comes out of the the ball camp. But, you know, I'm assuming that it's coming from LeVar Ball. It might not be. It could be coming from somebody completely different. You know, maybe I should have a little more faith because I definitely want to believe that he's going to be ready to go when the season starts. You know, even if he's not there for training camp or preseason, like if he's there opening night, like we said, it, it does change the dynamic of everything. I, I want to believe, Drew. I want to believe. <laughs> yeah, maybe we're just, I'm too far to the left and you're too far to the right. We got a shot of meet in the middle somewhere, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I mean, well, for other things, I'm I'm not even close to the right, but we, we won't get into that. Um, With that news about optimism with, Bonzo Ball's camp. There was another story that kind of popped up about, I guess, feeding off that whole idea of the Bulls' continuity. And I know you had kind of pointed out to me with everything going on with the Drew League that some of the Bulls are out in L.A. working together. Yeah, I want to say it was last week. Um, Man, it felt like at least nine or ten guys were out there. Of course, I don't think there were any Zach Levine sightings in terms of the clips that I saw. And, of course, Lonzo Ball wasn't um, involved either in terms of on, on the court play. He may have been there. Um, but in the clips that I saw, he, neither neither of those guys were involved. But I can't remember the last time I saw a team, that many members of a team, working out together. And I'm probably being a prisoner of the moment. I'm sure it's not the first time. But I don't know, as, a, as an observer of this team, it just it felt good to see them working together and kind of leaning into the idea of building this continuity with each other, um, especially seeing Vucevic there. You know, mm-hmm. we just got through talking about how he really had to sacrifice his game um, to be able to kind of fit in with the team and to see him in the mix with DeMar DeRozan and Kobe White and Alex Caruso, Patrick Williams, Dalen Terry was there, Javante Green, um, Tony Bradley. Um, so I think it's, it's it's just, it makes you feel good, or at least it yeah. made me feel good. And again, this isn't college basketball. I don't know what continuity will mean or how much it will mean in the grand scheme of things in terms of, of, of a pursuit for the Larry O'Brien trophy. But um, it's just hard for me to believe anybody that can look at those clips and see this team trying to jail even harder or even better than it did last year and not come away feeling good. I think continuity is always important. Like I'm not one of those people that gets too, like too giddy with these kind of stories, but it was cool to see that. And, you know, it kind of plays off what we saw with summer league where there were a lot of bulls in attendance watching the summer league squad play. So I think it's kind of nice to see like this team, they do like each other. I think 
you know, they got through a really hard patch last year as the season died down, but they're still determined to work out together, be around each other, and determined to come back this year and hopefully improve the Bulls' chances in the playoffs this year. So, yeah, it's it's always good to see teammates come together like that and, and try to try to work out together and, and try to hopefully bring that onto the court this season. Yeah, and it looks like Patrick Williams has been almost been like a working out with the who's who of basketball to a certain extent. There were pictures that came out with him mm. uh, playing with, with Paul George. I think Pascal Siaka might have been there, maybe Pat Bev. So it, it's – again, we don't know what this is going to mean for the upcoming season or if it speaks to any type of jump that he may have. But we see him putting in the work. I don't think that's ever been a question about – Patrick Williams or this team, but you know, it, it's, it's something I think that deserves to get excited about or make people get excited about. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And all I know is looking here at the calendar again, we're approaching mid August and I'm a football fan. Like I do love college football in the NFL, but I cannot wait to see the bulls back on the court soon. And maybe hear some other news going around the NBA soon. So um, before we get out of here, Drew, any final thoughts? No, I'm just, I'm ready for the season to start in the same way that all these summertime clips and pictures of, of people working out, uh, with each other and, and, and playing ball, like as much as we just talked about, or I just talked about how good that makes me feel. It's also a flip side of that where, you know, these games are being broken down, you know, to the bones of things like. I don't I don't want to put too much stock into Patrick Williams' 14.14 rebound three steal game he had in the Drew League. Like, it's okay. It's, 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 it's all right. He doesn't have to put up 50 against um, the type of competition he was playing against. Let's not make that a referendum on, on him. Let's just, you know, let's chill out a little bit. Um, but that definitely made me want the season to, to get started, like, yesterday. Just – too much philosophical debating about summer league basketball (laughs) well philosophical summer league basketball contract extensions i think it just says that bulls fans are chomping at the bit for things to actually get started so as we wrap up here you can follow drew at look what drew did again one of my favorite twitter handles you can follow me at mgentile88 with that alongside drew stevens i'm matt gentile Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.